Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, I'm going to start off with a pretty easy question for you for tonight's podcast. So um, if you're going into a, a game where you're going to play your rival, and no matter what sport it is, do you ever think it's a good idea to give extra motivation or bulletin board material to your opponent? No. I mean, I I, I don't know why you would even think about doing something like that, especially in, in, in a longstanding rival, especially in a heated rival. Uh, I know where you're going with this, but uh, <laughs> the answer is no. So, so taking a victory lap around your um, opponent's home stadium after you've won a rare victory the year before or, or doing like a dance and stomping on the team's logo right before you play in their home stadium, would that be considered a, a, a bad idea? Yeah, and uh, it, to, to me, it doesn't really matter if uh, your opponent sees it or not because people are going to see it, even if it's just a handful of fans, and all of a sudden that they're going to be even more jazzed up uh, before. So uh, roll the dice and uh, play at your own peril, I guess. Well, I guess the Las Vegas Raiders didn't get the memo that that was, uh, per se, a bad idea as they did both of those things uh, last year after their rare victory against the Chiefs and then right before – Set, uh, Sunday's beat down by the Chiefs and uh, Chiefs scoring on the first play from scrimmage. It was a scoop and score for the Chiefs on route to a route 48 to nine. They just destroyed the Raiders. It never was a game. 35, I think the three was the halftime score. Um, the Chiefs defense, again, awesome. Five turnovers, they had four fumbles, the interception, and they scored again. Patrick Mahomes is about as efficient as you could ask for. 20 out of 24, 258, two touchdowns. And then uh, Gore came in, just nine carries, but 66 yards, a touchdown. Edwards Alaire, two touchdowns on 37 yards rushing. And the Chiefs at nine and four, just for the second time this year, just absolutely stomped a mud hole in the Raiders. Yeah, the, the Raiders just aren't a good football team. I mean, they're good enough, I guess that you have to take them serious. I mean, they're better than the Jets and teams like that, I, I guess. But um, they're, they're just not a good football team. They're in disarray. Uh, they're, they, they've raided harder than any Raiders team has ever done before. This year has just been a bad season uh, off the field for them. Some of it within the – or all of it within their control. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just not a good football team. And the Chiefs did what you would expect a, a contender to do. And – it looks like that the uh, Chiefs are starting to uh, really come around and starting to pick up the right time. I was going to say, how how excited? I know we got really excited after the first victory at Las Vegas when the offense looked really, really good. And after that, they've had some struggles. Now they look really, really good again against the Raiders team. How, how excited are you for them moving forward? Well, you know, I, I hope that everybody can stay healthy. Uh, COVID is really starting to seep into the NFL right now, which is really a scary proposition at this point in the season because the playoff race is so tight. But, you know, all things considered, uh, the, the Chiefs are really playing as well as you could possibly ask for right now. Um, you know, even the running game, uh, the coming on to this week against the Chargers, you know, who has one of the worst uh, runs, rush defenses in the league. So, I, I, I can't complain right now. The Chiefs are just they're, – they're, they're playing well defensively. They're playing as well as anybody in the, in the NFL. The offense is still kind of hit and miss, but, you know, if they're going to be hit and miss during a win streak, that's fine. I still think that they're going to figure it out. Well, they play at 
eight and five uh, Los Angeles, as you mentioned, this Thursday. Now we're recording on Wednesday, so it'll be actually tomorrow night that they play the Chargers. It is a road game, but Brad, we know from watching, especially the Chargers, not as much the Rams, but when the Chargers play at home, if it's a 50-50 crowd, the Chargers are happy. I mean, there was a recent game. I'm trying to remember who they played there um, where it was it was more like 60 to 70 percent visiting fans over Charger fans. I, I really don't see this as a home field advantage at all for the Chargers or, or maybe even the Rams. So it, even though the Chiefs are on the road and had to travel, I, I, I just don't see it as a true road game. No, I mean uh, it's it's a road game in that it's a short turnaround, and it's a road game for you know for the Chiefs, and it's a, it's a short turnaround for both teams. But only one of them has to fly across two time zones, and that's the Chiefs. Uh, from a home field advantage standpoint, yeah, I mean the the Chargers leaving uh, San Diego was just was just stupid. They had a good following in San Diego. Uh, I imagine most of their fans are still from San Diego. Uh, it's it, it, yeah, I I expect that crowd tomorrow night to be at least 50% uh, red, if not more. Well, and we also hope, I know Chris Jones, uh, did you hear anything more on the COVID list for Jones? And also, um, I'm going to forget the name of their new receiver. Um, Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon were both on the list. Did you hear anything about that on today? Doesn't sound like that Gordon or uh, Willie Gay, I think, are going to play. But uh, incidentally, uh, after testing positive, today Chris Jones tested negative. Okay. And if he tests negative again on Thursday, he can play. So uh, I think they have to – I mean, they, they, they obviously they test daily. So And I think you have to have uh, back-to-back negative tests in order to play. So, I mean, who knows what happens uh, with these tests. I mean, it's just uh, – it's, it, it's maddening right now. But, yeah, uh, so last, last I heard that he did test negative today, but he will have to test negative again tomorrow. So that's the Chiefs and the Chargers again. The Chargers win – the Chiefs and the Chargers would both be nine and five, but uh, the Chargers would have the head-to-head. If the Chiefs win, then they would have a two-game lead in the division. They would take a half a game lead on uh, New England for the overall number one seed. So to say this is maybe the biggest game of the season thus far for the Chiefs, probably an understatement. Yeah, and I think if we're being honest, the winner of this game probably wins the AFC West, uh, probably more so Kansas City because they would have a two-game lead then. But neither team has an overly strong schedule down the stretch. So I would think that the the Chargers, if they win this one, uh, would likely seem to win out. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how it works out, Chiefs and the Chargers, Thursday night football. Well, some exciting news finally in an offseason for KU football. Boy, the – the transfer portal and the um, freshmen coming in is already lighting up for the Chiefs. They've got um, transfers coming in, a running back from Nebraska, cornerback from Michigan State, linebacker from Ohio State, offensive lineman from Buffalo, and then uh, a prep quarterback out of Virginia by the name of Ethan Vasco. He's 6'3", 205, one of the highest recruited quarterbacks in the country, threw for over 9,200 yards in three starting seasons at his prep school there in Virginia. So, um, boy, I tell you, Lance Leipold, he is busy, 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 and the offseason so far is looking really good for the Jayhawks. 
Yeah, on one hand, you want to pump the brakes a little bit because Charlie Weiss was a very good recruiter, and that never worked out in any capacity. But on the other hand, I have seen some uh, national recruiting pundits who are genuinely impressed with what Lance Leipold is pulling off right now. Uh, You know, they're getting transfers from Michigan State, Ohio State, Nebraska right now. So they're getting transfers from, you know, reputable schools. And then the kid from Mulvane switched his uh, commitment from North Dakota State to Kansas. So keeping those uh, uh, high mark or those high marquee in-state kids uh, in Lawrence is 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 going to be very important, obviously. I mean, when you look at Mangino's best teams, uh, they were filled with Kansas kids. Snyder was always uh, known for that at at K-State. And uh, yeah, it. It, it really seems like that Lance Leipold, I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, we don't really, he's only been there one season, but it's, it, I genuinely start, starting to feel that this is the guy who's going to pull the Jayhawks out of the doldrums. Well, it's it just, it's just nice to be talking something positive. <laughs> right. Okay. Football in the offseason. I mean, it's always been, uh, mum was almost the word the last couple, three seasons for sure that, you know, you just didn't hear much. Um, they'd always try to build it up in the spring. Oh, well, they look like they had a good spring. And uh, but you, like you say, you generally feel like there's some some positive movement. I mean, you know, this this kid at quarterback. You know, you think you got Jalen Daniels for what now uh, two, three, four seasons? But we know as well as everybody, quarterbacks can struggle. They can get injured. Um, you just obviously KU for certain, but you just can't have enough good kids at every position. And I think this is a great start. Yeah, and if all, all goes well, I mean, Daniels is your quarterback for three years, so this kid from Virginia redshirts a year, and then he backs him up for a couple of years, and he still has two years to start. So it's, uh, it, yeah, it, and you can't have too much depth at any position, especially the quarterback position, which we know as, as full well that other than, what, maybe Carter Stanley since uh, Todd Reesing, the Jocks really have had no quarterback. Well, th- that's very true. We've, we we talk about, you know, they, they try to hype up the guys coming in, and it just never – seems to come to fruition but um but at least now we're seeing <laughs> we're seeing more people in the portal coming to KU instead of leaving uh KU as it seems like they have any of the good players in the past few years Puka Williams by the way it was nice to see Puka playing for the Bengals the other day yeah I mean I don't think that's a surprise that he's playing in the NFL uh definitely a hard runner a good runner a shifty runner and uh, yeah, that that's absolutely a good sign, and I'm I, I'm not surprised. So again, I'm just happy to be talking about something good happening for Jayhawk football again with just their season just ending up a couple three weeks ago. So we'll keep tabs on uh, Landslide Pold and Jayhawk football. Of course, Jayhawk basketball in full swing. They're now eight and one, and. I don't know what my first reaction was, Brad, when I stopped laughing. Um, at the 102-65 beatdown of Missouri and Lawrence, I just really realized well, one of the best rivalries came back alive, and I think Missouri may be regretting renewing that rivalry. Well, I will say this much, uh, that next year it'll be, even though Missouri probably can't draw anything, it'll be a pretty good atmosphere next year when the Jayhawks go to Columbia. Of course, I would guess that at least 40% of the crowd will be wearing crimson and blue, but yeah, uh, Missouri's just a mess right now. They're one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country, uh, Quanzo Martin, from all indications, is a good guy, just maybe in over his head. But definitely encouraging for the Jayhawks uh, to go out. And, uh, I mean, for, for me, Scott, the thing that stood out about this game was Remy Martin. They kept showing his body language out there, and he was genuinely hyped and having fun. 
And I and it's not that he wasn't before, but to me, I thought this is the game where Remy Martin now understands what it's like to be a Jayhawk, and that to me speaks volumes because I think uh, you know Agbaji and Brown are going to be. I think they've established themselves as the two leaders, the two top scorers. McCormick's going to have his hit and misses. We know what he is, but Remy Martin's going to be the X factor for this team. And seeing him so hyped on Saturday was was so encouraging to me. That's what was really neat. I think they said it had been nine years since these two had played one another, but there was still enough players around the program, former players that are involved with the program, to instill that in this current KU lineup that they went into that game. I was listening to some of the pregame, and an hour and a half before tip-off, that place was already near full. Uh, the, the student section was already at fever pitch an hour and a half before the game, and you could just – I'm not going to say they picked up right where they left off, but that 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 big atmosphere that it was always like that for KU in Missouri twice or sometimes three times a year, that seemed to come back really, really easy, and that was fun to see. And it really also drives home the point that Kansas and Missouri, just how deep the rivalry was and still is. I mean, it's good to see them playing again. It'll, they'll still start playing football in 2025, and um, – yeah, it just really drives home the point that Missouri and Kansas, it's a rivalry that you really can't take for granted because it's so deep, it's so entrenched. It's one of the few rivalries that predates sports, if you will. So it's uh, it's it's something special. I'm glad they're doing it again. Uh, I'm not, I'm kind of on the fence. Do I want Missouri to be good again and kind of make it competitive, or was I happy with that? So uh, – <laughs> I guess you can't have it. Uh, I guess you can only have it one way. So, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, but that's always that kind of what made the, the rivalry so great, Scott, is no matter how bad Missouri was, they would often play very well against Kansas. Yeah. And I think, isn't it in football where they still can't agree on what the official um, record is? There's still one disputed game. Um, I think it's in football that w- w- both teams feel like they won the game. And how unusual is that? It's not just football. It's actually there's a couple of baseball games that are disputed. And there's even like a basketball game from way back when that's disputed. I guess it was like considered a scrimmage by one school, but it was official by another. And <laughs> I, I, that, you just don't see that with any with any other rivalry. I, I love it. It's great. It is. It's great. And the KU upcoming, they're going to play on the 18th at home against uh, Stephen F. Austin. And then on the 21st, going to go to another uh, former Big 12 and back to the Big 8 days, they're going to go play uh, Colorado. What's, what's your interest in that Colorado game? Well, is, is Tad Boyle still the coach there? Oh, good question. I'm not sure if he's I, still there or I'm not. not. I'm not sure if he is or not. I, I always respected the heck out of Tad Boyle. Very good man, a very good coach. Uh, I'm not sure how good Colorado is. They they had a few years where they, pretty, where they were pretty decent. Stephen F. Austin's had some decent seasons, so mm-hmm. – uh, you know, it'll be uh, definitely, you know, overall, the non-conference schedule this year hasn't been great, although some of that's due to the fact that some of the teams that they're playing are very good. I mean, Missouri's just, you know, just got awful right now. Uh, Colorado may not be as strong as they have been, but uh, I, I do think that these will be a couple of good games to get them ready for what's going to be a gauntlet in Big 12 play. Yeah, I, I like I like that scheduling that's, that is getting them prepared for what's going to be a whale of a Big 12 basketball season. And coming up, that'll get started in early January. Well, at Astra this week, since we're on Wednesday, we have just one more um, night, and it's fairly light night of games, just three games 
coming up this Friday night. Before I talk about that schedule, Brad, I, I've got to go back to a game I had last week, uh, Friday. You and I were in Mound Ridge um, last night for Mound Ridge Little River. Mound Ridge and Inman, long, long-term rivals. I had their game the final night of the Mound Ridge preseason tournament. And, you know, we were really cruising along that night. The girls' game went along pretty well. Mound Ridge winning that one comfortably. And then we got into a boys' game that was just cruising along. Long possessions. I thought, boy, I'm getting home early. And then I was treated, and I was ultimately treated to a four-overtime classic between those two rivals. Inman finally able to win 41 37 and again four overtimes it was the longest high school game that I have personally called and it was just what an electric atmosphere we had a big almost near capacity full gym and those those two put on a a classic game it was just it just signified really what high school basketball especially rivalry games is all about well McPherson County I mean we think of McPherson and within McPherson County but there's a there's some great basketball scattered around the county, though. I mean, even uh, Little Illyria Christians had some good teams lately, and uh, Mound Ridge and and Inman obviously play right into those great programs that they have within the county, and two deeply, you know, teams that have a, or two teams that have just a deep history, deep roots in basketball. And yeah, it was uh, it definitely sounded like a classic. It was, and that was a. Uh... It was just a privilege to be there and see that one. I, I know my board op was less than thrilled going four overtimes, but uh, <laughs> sometimes it, it works out like that. Well, this Friday's schedule, I'm going to have Haven at Central Plains on 94.7, uh, Kingman's at Trinity on 100.3, and St. John at Heston on Kicks Country 106. Um, first at my games we know about the central plains oiler girls uh, state champions yet again last season they've got a couple cassidy nixon and and brenna hammocky are two fantastic players for central plains a a haven girls team i think is going to get things figured out got a lot of young players playing um boys game central plains really struggling but i'm looking forward to seeing how haven can compete against a a really good central plains girls teams it seems like we say that every year well, Reese Roper is one of the top players in the area for Haven, uh, the the daughter of Coach Dwight Roper. they got some other good players like Brianne Bronner is a sharpshooter. Sadie Estel is kind of an up-and-coming player uh, in the post there. So they definitely have – I'm not sure that Haven girls have the depth that they've, that they've had in years past. But, it, you know, when it's all said and done, it's still going to be a pretty decent team. And this is – you know, we talked about this on the air last night. You know, these are the kind of games that these te- that these schools don't have to schedule. It's not a, it's not a conference game. It's not a tournament game. So – the fact that they're going out of their way to play this this kind of game really speaks volumes, I think, to what kind of competition these two programs want to uh, uh, have. I think Central Plains, the last few years, they have had trouble filling their non-conference or non-league schedule because league teams don't want to play more than you know twice a year um, due to how good their girls are every year. So they've been playing. They've had a um, doubleheader with Sterling the last couple, three years. Boy, I would love to see Sterling and Central Plain girls. That would be fantastic. You know, now they have Haven. They've also gone out. I'm trying to remember who the other school was. seems like it was another either Hart or Central Kansas League team that they have played. So I think Central Plains, knowing you know how good their girls are and – the trouble they have scheduling more 1A schools. I, I, I like seeing them. They go out and challenge themselves against these bigger schools. Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, if, if you can compete with some of these bigger schools, you know, by one 
or two classifications, you know, come sub-state time, you're going to be pretty well tested, and you're probably not going to see many teams better than the ones that you've seen playing in the bigger classifications. That's a 94-7 game. Uh, what do you think about the St. John Heston? Uh, the boys matchup going to be – that's a pretty big mismatch. That's a tall order for St. John. I think that girls game has potential to be pretty good. St. John's got a lot of returners. They had a good team last year. Heston, so well coached, so disciplined. They're always a, a tough out. I think that has potential to be a pretty good ball game. Yeah, uh, Coach Danny Smith, I think, has been there for quite a while now at, at St. John, and uh, his daughter is a very, very, very good player, and I think they returned pretty much everybody last year. They didn't have a lot of numbers last year, but if I'm not mistaken, talking with someone last year, I covered their first-round sub-state game. They actually had a pretty good middle school group coming up, so uh, it could be a pretty young team. They only had, I think, maybe eight or nine players in the entire program last year, but with a good – I can't remember if it was the seventh or eighth grade, so if it was the seventh grade, it, it's they're still a year away, but – uh, they do have a good team this year, and uh, it, they just need a little bit more depth. I think it could be a pretty good girls game. Yeah, Darby Smith, I think, is the name of Yes, there you go. Coach Smith, yeah. I saw her last year, and, yeah, she's she's got potential to be really good, and that, that that's the kicks country game, and that'll be, that'll be very intriguing as we will watch those scores come in on Friday night. A couple of more things I wanted to get your thoughts on while we're on Acacia events. Of course – we haven't talked about substates. Those were released right at the very um, start of the high school season. Um, my power's out. I don't have access to, to pull those up right now. I know a couple of them that really stood out. The, the one in Nickerson, uh, especially on the girls' side, that's got Nickerson and Cheney. I think also was Andale also in that one. That, that one has got potential to be a fantastically tough um, girl side of a substate. Isn't Heston is Heston there too? Oh, they may be in that one as well. Yes, I know on the boys' side, uh, you have Heston and Cheney and Wichita Trinity, and boy, I'm forgetting something. Uh, Someone else. Who's that? I think it's Wichita Collegians also in there. Okay, so yeah, you had four of the top seven teams in boys three A on that, and then of course with Cheney and Nickerson, you got what? Is that one and two right there? It may be on the girls' side. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's just a mini substate tournament. You know, Scott, uh, I like how they do the East-West thing and just, you know, lump everybody, everybody together. You know, in this day and age, especially in western Kansas and pretty much anybody outside of Kansas City, Wichita, and Topeka, they're used to traveling. So, you know, trying to keep these little substate groups together based on geography, it's got to go at the, you know, 3A, 2A, and 1A level. Just do it like they do 4, 5, and 6A. And we're going to avoid this kind of mess uh like we have this year with the the Nickerson substate. Yeah, I, I don't know why. You know, they started seeding, as you mentioned, 4A on up a few years ago, and they – I don't know what the resistance is to doing it at the, at the lower classifications. Now, especially with 1A split back up into two divisions, I think it would be very doable to do that, split in east and west, you know, seed one through whatever it is, how many teams you have, and – and and play it straight away like that so we can avoid these stacked substates now on the flip side for us broadcasting it's wonderful theater i mean we, <laughs> we we have state quality games sometimes in the semifinals of these of these stacked substates you know it's great for us but for the teams when you have two or even sometimes three deservedly um teams being at state you you, you do hate to see that and, and i'm trying to remember the 2a substate there's an one of those that seems to be pretty loaded as well um i believe it may be the one that hillsborough is in um looks to be really really tough as well 
Yeah, and with all these, uh, again, these these little schools, they're used to traveling. Um, shoot, uh, you even go to 4A, and you got schools like Ulysses going all the way to central Kansas. And, you know, I know Scott City, Colby, and Goodland make long trips before, too. So it, it it's not out of the ordinary for these small schools to make long trips. Uh, it's got, you know, I think this is the second year of the two-year scheduling cycle. So maybe next year we can start seeing this uh, across all classifications. So again, we'll we'll take a little more in depth look in our, our next podcast when I when I have power and I can pull all this up on the computer and and dissect them some more. I know those were a couple of them that stood out to me. Also, another thing I saw it on Facebook and then I went in on Keisha. Oh, sorry, that uh, the uh, for some reason the fire alarm malfunctioning there. I think that's the loud. You, you, you hope it's malfunctioning. Yeah, I hope it is malfunctioning, but it seems to be. So we'll we'll make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> well, at least we'll try. I have no power. It's actually sitting right above me, so we'll, we will hear it if it happens again. Um, there was a weekly announcement. Of course, Keisha puts him out every week, and I think this was the December sixth one. And again, I, I can't look it up for sure, but um, I think it said through the first three games or three nights of the high school basketball season, they um, said there was, I think, three or four player ejections in games. There were three or four coach reprimands. Um, there were numerous incidents between um, players chirping at one another and barking back at officials and just how um, – I don't know if you want to call it unruly or what it was towards um, officiating um, in the early, early season and, and crowds getting out of control and having to reprimand, um, you know, athletic directors have to get on people in the crowds and just, you know, we have, we've talked about it at the um, ad nauseum a little bit about how short we already are on officials and to see this kind of a start to the high school basketball season of, I don't know if you want to call it unruly or undisciplined play and um, reaction out of coaches, players, and fans. It, it was not a good start in that aspect for uh, any stretch of the imagination. No, and fortunately, from my perspective, the games I've been at have been very well uh, be, uh, fan behavior, I guess you could say. And, you know, there, there, there's a difference, Scott, between a spontaneous reaction where you disagree with a call. Okay, say your piece. Make sure it's, you know, PG version or whatever, but then let it go. Don't, don't keep harping back to the same thing or let it build. Okay. I mean, I've, I've, I've often said we'd be less than human if we didn't get upset with the officials. I mean, I, I'm an official and I still get upset mm. uh, when I watch games or whatever. Um, but, you know, I just think sometimes that we let one call, whatever, you know, get to us. And then it just keeps building and building. And, and again, just say your piece, move on. You know, make sure it's PG. Don't. There's no need to get personal. There's no need to get, you know, to, to start dropping the kind of uh, f bombs that we see from Joe Pesci and Goodfellas or something like that. I mean, just, <laughs> just, 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 just say it. Just you know, oh, that's a bad call. Okay, you said your piece. Let it go. Well, and I think back. Of course, it's been a few years. When 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 I was a player, uh, we were told under no circumstances, unless we are a captain, and then only in special circumstances. We did not talk to the officials. I mean, that was drilled into us. Our coach, if there's going to be somebody talking to the official, it will be me as far as this is the coach talking. And we got severely reprimanded if we 
talked back or said something to an official. Um, and it just seems like that just doesn't happen. Kids are, you see, we see it all the time, Brad. Players are talking. Now, most of them, I think, are conducting themselves in a way that's not detrimental. They're asking the official, uh, clarifying, now, what did I do that got the foul? Okay, thank you. I just wanted to, cl-, you know, I think most of it's that, but we know some of it isn't. Some of it's, um, you know, barking back at them or barking at other players. And I just remember the kind of trouble we would have been in um, back in the day if we had spouted off to an opposing player or an official. Well, I remember uh, my, my high school soccer coach had a, a rule that if you got a, a yellow card for, for your mouth, uh, you, the next day of practice, you did nothing but run. That Ooh. was it. I mean, that, that was going to be your it's just a yellow card for language, not a red, a yellow card. So, yeah, it was pretty much instilled in me from high school, at least, that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just don't just don't just keep your mouth shut and play the game. Yeah. And it, I know it's I know it's a completely different game. I know things change over time, but those are some of the things I don't like. And we just our plea is out there. Let's let's have a good season. Let's 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 cut down. I know we're not going to eliminate um, incidences it's there are always going to be some with unruly fans or players but let's 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 get this toned down so we can have a good a good season and see these tremendous student athletes that we are privileged to see every week ha- have have a great season so that, that was just something that really really caught my eye that I wanted to kind of touch on before we move into the uh, college ranks Brad the Sterling Lady Warriors and Warriors boy they have been busy it was another uh three game week and they have been the true road warriors they're for their last five conference games leading up to this past monday have been on the road now i'm going to love that schedule when we go through the conference a second time because those are all going to be at home but uh the lady warriors um ranked number eight i need to look at the new rankings it should be fairly similar to that ended up winning three straight to finish it uh First place, they're eight and one in the KCAC conference. They are a half game ahead of Avila, and boy, it was a week of testing. They won 64-54 at Bethany in a half court grinded out affair. Then they went to Bethel on this past Saturday and overcame three point shooting like I've never seen in a short stretch. Sterling had a 27 to 10 lead in the second quarter. That was nine points at halftime. And in the third quarter. Bethel as a team went nine of 11 from the three point line and 12 of 18 in the second half to finish 13 of 24 for the game. They ended up leading by six at one point, but the gritty Sterling lady warriors never panicked. They just did what they always do. They got a couple of key threes from Emily Hendrickson. Taya Wilson had yet another double double. She's got six of them on the season. That was, I believe her fifth straight in that ball game and they went on and won 77 72 turned around two days later and beat friends 93 to 79 in wichita after leading by 30 at one point in the second quarter and the three-point shooting rubbed off on them they were nine of 15 i believe it was in the first half emily hendrickson and bailey albright um, had monster games there against friends 23 points taya wilson 19 points nine rebounds and it just it showed a lot. And Bethany Stuckey, we all know her from Mound Ridge. She left the Bethel game, Brad, on crutches with a sprained ankle. She started 
and played well in the Friends game, 11 points, six rebounds. So I think it just kind of showed this Lady Warrior team is is gritty. They don't panic, and they can win whatever style you want to play. They won half court. They won full court. They won grinded out. They won hot shooting games, and, boy, they, they just really impressed me. It just kind of goes to show, once again, that they can win in a multitude of ways. I mean, that win over, first of all, over Bethany, that's a quality win. Let's let's not sell that one short for a second. That That is a quality win going and beating the Keith Ferguson coach team. That's a good win. And then the, for them to go out and essentially beat a team that could not miss, even if they tried to miss, uh, <laughs> once again, just kind of, it just shows you that they can beat you in so many different ways. And honestly, if I'm, a, if I'm an opposing coach in the KCAC, that frustrates me. It frustrates, it frustrates me that we can have a great shooting night from three and can't beat Sterling. It frustrates me that we can play a good slowdown game and can't beat Sterling. Yeah, it's 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 a it, it it's a it's a it's a tough team to play, and 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 I love watching this team, Brad. And and what I like is you look at their starting lineup again. They're not deep, but their starting lineup: two players from Kingman. One from Haven, one from Sterling, and one from Mound Ridge. I mean, you, you got to love it. I mean, it just goes to prove, yes, you can build a quality championship-style team with local players, and I think that makes them even more fun to watch. Not just local players, but small-town kids. Yeah. Uh, and, and who who live uh... – if they heck, if they if they if they wanted to commute to school, they they could almost do that. They they all live so close, and all such good girls. I mean, we I, I get to visit with all of them, and just just a pleasure to watch. Now they're in Florida right now. They're going to play um, uh, Weber International on Thursday and Warner College on Friday before they will be off until the two teams return home to play York on January fifth. So we will see. Three more games before they'll be through the conference the first time, and then uh, we'll go through the gauntlet once again. Uh, the men, on the other hand, Brad, uh, boy, still kind of head scratching. 89-69 loss at Bethany. They lost at Bethel 87-72 after leading 38-37 at halftime. And then friends had a couple of three-point shooters get hot and Sterling played better for more of the game against friends, but still lost 87 73 um again they led bethel by one and a half they were within one of friends midway through the second half and just just can't find a way can't find a way to make enough shots or stay in these games long enough to have a chance in the end i, I think maybe they're getting a little closer with the way they played against friends but um still a lot of frustration with this program yeah, and I, uh, I, you know, I'm sitting in my car while we record this, so I don't have access to their stats like I usually do. But did you, you know, you were there. Did, did the ball continue to stick a little bit on offense, or is yeah. it getting better? Yeah, you know, there's times, especially in the first half, it seems like it moves really well, um, and then they they'll they'll make a couple one on one moves and hit a couple shots, and then that gets kind of conducive. Well, maybe I can do that, and then. You know, they do a few possessions like that, and they draw too much energy off of made shots and too little energy off of when they miss shots, and that shows up on the defensive end, and then they give up easy baskets. So I think it's a maturity thing. They're trying to just – it's a young team. They're trying to learn how to play 40 minutes against good teams, and hopefully that will come around in the second semester. Yeah, and, you know, a little time off might be a, a benefit as well, you know, in between uh, semesters here. 
But, uh, you know, there's not a lot of nights off in the KCAC. So, but, you know, even if they do improve that at some point, like we see talk about with KU football, at some point you need to, to prove to your team that, yes, you know, we, we can, that this is working. And, we, and how they know it's working? By getting a couple of wins. I think they need to, to get that reward to start building something a little bit more. Yeah, they'll have a chance. York is just, I think, won one conference game. They'll have them on the fifth at home. Uh, then the teams go to McPherson and then host Oklahoma Westland um, to round out the schedule. And the, the Oklahoma Westland game, they're a top ten team. That'll for on the men's side, that'll be uh, brutally difficult. But again, um, we'll start getting a lot more home games as we get through that second portion of the schedule. So again. Uh, that's the regular portion of our schedule, doing a little bit shorter uh, podcast for you tonight. So uh, we'll move on to your final thoughts. I've got, I've got a pretty good one for you, which you can go ahead and go first. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I was just going to say, you know, Scott, we went through uh, the, the, the entire state kind of went through a, this doesn't have anything to do sports related, but just kind of want to give a shout out to the people that we, you know, kind of keep things going within our communities. You know, the, the wind storm that we endured and uh, through on, on this Wednesday was just insane. I mean, Scott, I have not seen continuous wind at that power for that long of a time until today. I mean, wind gust of, you know, upwards of 70 miles an hour. I mean, fortunately, I didn't lose power. Not so fortunate elsewhere in Hutchinson. I, I live on 25th, and you know, north of 30th is a ghost town. Uh, at least when I left uh, this this evening, it was. So, you know, we got to give a lot of credit to the people to keep the power going, to keep our internet functioning, that keep our gas on, and all that, and keep the water running. And times like this, especially during the holidays, and luckily that the temperature is pleasant. And uh, luckily, the wind has really died down. Where if there's even maybe a little bit of grass fires, I, I understand around Hutchinson that uh, it's, it's still not pleasant having to work essentially overnight like this and trying to get everybody's power back on. And, uh, again, my family is one of the lucky ones. We never lost power or Internet or anything like that. So uh, those people really have to give a lot of credit, especially this time of the year. Well, and we are certainly extremely blessed. You mentioned that. We, we are affected by both of those. Currently, as we're recording, we are out of power. That is due to we had some down power lines um, on our property over we have a small lake we live on my brother actually lives on the south side of that lake in a cabin and a fire started there this afternoon just up south of his cabin and fortunately the wind was pushing it sideways and away from the cabin and our great local file firefighters and i think we had maybe mcpherson county uh, came over um, they were able to keep it. Uh, my mom lives in the Sandstone Heights nursing home in Little River, just two miles from us. They had them ready to evacuate, um, but they got, I got a call about an hour ago or so that the, the all clear was given. Um, so the firefighters were able to control um, the fire. And I think pretty much, I don't see the smoke or the flames anymore. I think pretty much got it under control. Um, and I know the power crews are working. There is outages all over our area due to the fire and other in the windstorm. Um, so yeah, we were extremely blessed and, and protected by the Lord this evening. Cause, uh, that, that could have gotten bad for not just us, but for even the town of little river and our, our local, and th- those are volunteer, um, firefighters, almost all of them. They, they, they once again, just did a, a phenomenal job for us. Well, and in typical Kansas fashion, you know, one minute I'm looking out the window and I'm looking at the, the weather, uh, 
weather channel app and you know we still got wind gust of 50 miles an hour and steady gust uh, steady wind of 35 miles an hour then about five minutes later i look out and i see yeah the trees aren't really moving step outside wow it's almost calm out here now so <laughs> <laughs> just just typical kansas i guess yeah and, and the, the no thunderstorm prediction cer- certainly didn't work out well as those no. roof parts of the state and uh, tornado i think there was tornado warnings in upper in northeastern kansas and yeah, it was a, a crazy day. I've, I've got uh, numerous repairs around here to do tomorrow, but nothing um, nothing as bad, nearly as bad as it could have been with the scenario that unfolded. So we were extremely lucky. Well, I'm going to go to a completely different place, Brad. There is a, a movie coming out, fittingly, on Christmas Day. It's called American Underdog. I don't know if you've seen the trailer um, for this movie. It is the... Real life, true story of pro football Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar with um, Kurt, he came out in the, uh, it's, it's going to have been in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, into the NFL as a complete unknown. For you who don't know his history, he, he played at Northern Iowa, uh, one double A school or what they call now um, FCS. He didn't play until he was a fifth-year senior at Northern Iowa. Um, he tried to get on with several NFL teams. Nobody wanted him. He ended up in Iowa stocking groceries at a grocery store when the AFL, the Arena Football League, um, blossomed, and there was a team in Iowa. And I love this team because they play in Sioux City, the Iowa Barnstormers. How about that for a, a – <laughs> And he was invited. He 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 been out of football pretty much for five years when he started playing in the Arena Football League. And just as if you've ever watched Arena Football, it is a fun game. It's high scoring. I think he was being paid by the touchdown um, that he threw in these leagues. And he finally got noticed by the Los Angeles Rams, or actually, it have been the St. Louis Rams in these days. And was invited for a tryout, uh, made the team as a backup quarterback. And in the preseason, uh, the future Kansas City Chief Trent Green suffers a season-ending knee injury. And this unknown comes in. And, Brad, they said the thing about these movies sometimes that you have to make them more believable in Hollywood. Well, this story is so unbelievable. They, they had a hard time. They didn't have to change anything because most people don't believe it that he not only became the starting quarterback for the Rams, not only did he lead them to a winning season, they went to the Super Bowl and they won it in his first season as quarterback. And he went on to lead the Rams to another Super Bowl and the Arizona career to their first and only Super Bowl appearance. And then uh, later being inducted um, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's just it's an unbelievable story, and he held on to his faith in Jesus through all of this. His wife encouraged him to never give up on that dream, and it's just, it may be the greatest underdog story in the history of sports because you talk about coming out of nowhere and achieving what he did at a little bit later in his career that he got started. It's just truly remarkable, and I can't wait to see this movie. He went to two Super Bowls with the Rams and one with the Arizona Cardinals. 
he's a Hall of Famer in my book. I, I don't care. He could have gone 0 for 0 in all in those three Super Bowl <laughs> games. I don't really. He could have in the championship games gone one for seven with four. No, he took the Rams to two Super Bowls. I, get get this notion out of your head right now about how good the Rams are this have been the last few years or how good the Cardinals all are this year. No, what a lot of the, the younger folks may not understand is that the Rams were a sad sack sad sack franchise for most of their history. The Arizona Cardinals they've been even worse for most of their history. They are usually the the team that you want to play, if, you, if you're in the AFC, oh, we get to play the Arizona Cardinals this year. Oh, that's an easy win. Again, I know that's not the case anymore, but the fact that Kurt Warner was on three Super Bowl teams and that two of them were the Rams and one were the Arizona Cardinals, that to me was enough to put this guy in the Hall of Fame. He's an underrated quarterback, I still think. And, uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, what, what, what a career he had uh, just from nowhere. It's unlike anything I can really think of. And, you know, they called it the greatest show on turf. Um, can you think of, an, I, in a maybe a two- or three-year period there, can you think of an offense in the history of the NFL that was the rival or better than that Rams team? Not really. I mean, you have teams that have, like, one good season. You know, you know the Chiefs had, a, obviously, a few good seasons there and are still very good. But they kind of opened the door for the current NFL. If you make the, you can make the argument there, Scott, uh, where we have these high flying offenses. It kind of started with the Rams. Yeah, you had the, you had the Isaac Bruce's, the Tory Holtz, Tory Holt, Marshall Falk, uh, one of the best two way running backs in the history of the league. He was a fantastic, fantastic receiver out of the backfield, and they could hand it to him. They had a good running game. Um, it, it, it is, it's just, I, I can't, I really, I cannot wait to see this movie because I just, I, I loved watching him in his career. He just always, he's a hall of famer on the field and off the field. And I think that's another thing I love about him. Yeah, he does, he's definitely one of those guys. You don't have to worry about doing anything stupid or anything like that. And knock on wood, hopefully not, but no, seriously, uh, Kurt Warner is one of the great dudes out there. Uh, definitely deserving of his Hall of Fame career. And, yeah, he's definitely the kind of guy where, heck, I like to bring him to my house, make him dinner, and drink a beer with him and just get to know him a little bit because he just seems like a regular guy. Oh, anybody who played for the Iowa Barnstormers is uh, aces in my books. And, again, that's American Underdog. It'll be in theaters everywhere on Christmas Day. So if you uh, don't want to take a nap after Christmas dinner, I, I, I urge you to get down to your local theater and – um, give that one a try. Even if even if you're not a football guy, I, th- I think you will enjoy it. Um, American Underdog, the real life story of Kurt Warner. So again, that is our podcast for this week. And again, go to adastroradio.com and the sports page for all that schedule. It's getting a little bit lighter as we get to the Christmas break. But uh, thanks for everybody for joining us tonight. And for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a wonderful evening.